This episode is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Stay calm with BunnySlippers.com. You know what will help? Retail therapy. Why not buy some Highland cow slippers from BunnySlippers.com? These woolly bulls will keep your feet feeling snug and, well, looking damn cool. I have to highly recommend them. Excuse the darn out there, you know. This is a family show, or at least this portion of The Feet is a Family Show. This is Black Clock Audio Tales, and I am your host, D.B. Spitzer. We're going to be going with the third book of the Oz series, second book to have Dorothy. And uh, you might recognize some of this. As if, uh, if you've watched Return to Oz, you'll recognize some elements of this movie. And just to let you know, we're going to have some other stuff going on this month. We're going to have some Dave's Underground Goat shenanigans. Of course, we have Articulate Warbling all the time. Zach and Laura are currently reviewing, I believe, It's a Quiet Place. So you can check that out if uh, you want to listen to some British people talk about A Quiet Place. You can always find out more about what's going on with PGTTCM by going to PGTTCM.com. Checking out our back catalog. You can go there to find out what's going on with Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, any of Dave's other corner of the podcast stuff, things I do with Ken Height, stuff that happens with Zach and Laura with Articulate Warbling, this show, of course, Black Clock Audio Tales. Find out what's going to be happening in the upcoming months, and of course... People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. The whole reason any of this even started. My show about the Cthulhu Mythos, where I generally have folks like David Heath or Ken Hyde or some other folk come on and talk about whatever it is we're talking about. And I believe we're talking about Envers and uh, some Clark Ashton Smith uh, this month in... Um, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. And of course, this month, we're talking about Frank L. Baum. Is that it? Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're talking about him and the Oz stories. We don't have any people going, hey, I'll talk about the Oz. If you want to talk about Oz books, if you are an Oz expert, if you love Oz so much, if you want to be like, hey, can I talk to you about the differences between the books and the movies? Like, hey, sure, send me something. You know, uh, and how do you send me something? Go to pgttcm.com and go to the contact us and remember if you want to let people know about this show go to the interwebs uh rate review subscribe wherever you do and follow us on facebook and instagram black clock audio tales pgttcm here's some book three uh ozma of oz ozma of oz to the rescue nanda brought dorothy bread and water for her supper and she slept upon a hard stone couch with a single pillow and a silken coverlet. In the morning she leaned out of the window of her prison in the tower to see if there was any way to escape. The room was not so very high up, when compared with our modern buildings, but it was far enough above the trees and farmhouses to give her a good view of the surrounding country. To the east she saw the forest, with the sands beyond it, and the ocean beyond that. There was even a dark speck upon the shore that she thought might be the chicken coop in which she had arrived at this singular country. Then she looked to the north, and saw a deep but narrow valley lying between two rocky mountains, and a third mountain that shut off the valley at the farther end. 
Westward, the fertile land of Ev suddenly ended a little way from the palace, and the girl could see miles and miles of sandy desert that stretched further than her eyes could reach. It was this desert, she thought with much interest, that alone separated her from the wonderful land of Oz, and she remembered sorrowfully that she had been told no one had ever been able to cross this dangerous waste but herself. Once a cyclone had carried her across it, and a magical pair of silver shoes had carried her back again. But now she had neither a cyclone nor silver shoes to assist her, and her condition was sad indeed, for she had become the prisoner of a disagreeable princess, who insisted that she must exchange her head for another one that she was not used to, and which might not fit her at all. Really there seemed no hope of help for her from her old friends in the land of Oz. Thoughtfully she gazed from her narrow window. On all the desert not a living thing was stirring. Wait, though, something surely was stirring on the desert, something her eyes had not observed at first. Now it seemed like a cloud, now it seemed like a spot of silver, now it seemed to be a mass of rainbow colors that moved swiftly toward her. What could it be? she wondered. Then, gradually, but in a brief space of time, nevertheless, the vision drew near enough to Dorothy to make out what it was. A broad green carpet was unrolling itself upon the desert, while advancing across the carpet was a wonderful procession that made the girl open her eyes in amazement as she gazed. First came a magnificent golden chariot, drawn by a great lion and an immense tiger, who stood shoulder to shoulder and trotted along as gracefully as a well-matched team of thoroughbred horses. And standing upright within the chariot was a beautiful girl, clothed in flowing robes of silver gauze and wearing a jeweled diadem upon her dainty head. She held in one hand the satin ribbons that guided her astonishing team, and in the other an ivory wand that separated at the top into two prongs, the prongs being tipped by the letters O and Z, made of glistening diamonds set closely together. The girl seemed neither older nor larger than Dorothy herself, and at once the prisoner in the tower guessed that the lovely driver of the chariot must be that Ozma of Oz of whom she had so lately heard from Tik-Tok. Following close behind the chariot, Dorothy saw her old friend the Scarecrow riding calmly astride a wooden sawhorse which pranced and trotted as naturally as any meat horse could have done. And then came Nick Chopper, the Tin Woodman, with his funnel-shaped cap tipped carelessly over his left ear, his gleamy axe over his right shoulder, and his whole body sparkling as brightly as it had ever done in the old days when first she knew him. The Tin Woodman was on foot, marching at the head of a company of twenty-seven soldiers, of whom some were lean and some fat, some short and some tall but all twenty-seven were dressed in handsome uniforms of various designs and colors, no two being alike in any respect. Behind the soldiers the green carpet rolled itself up again, so that there was always just enough of it for the procession to walk upon, in order that their feet might not come in contact with the deadly, life-destroying sands of the desert. Dorothy knew at once it was a magic carpet she beheld. 
and her heart beat high with hope and joy as she realized she was soon to be rescued and allowed to greet her dearly beloved friends of Oz, the Scarecrow, the Tin Woodman, and the Cowardly Lion. Indeed, the girl felt herself as good as rescued as soon as she recognized those in the procession, for she well knew the courage and loyalty of her old comrades, and also believed that any others who came from their marvelous country would prove to be pleasant and reliable acquaintances. As soon as the last bit of desert was passed, and all the procession from the beautiful and dainty Ozma to the last soldier had reached the grassy meadows of the land of Ev, the magic carpet rolled itself together and entirely disappeared. Then the chariot driver turned her lion and tiger into a broad roadway leading up to the palace, and the others followed, while Dorothy still gazed from her tower window in eager excitement. They came quite close to the front door of the palace, and then halted. The scarecrow dismounted from his sawhorse to approach the sign fastened to the door, that he might read what it said. Dorothy, just above him, could keep silent no longer. "'Here I am!' she shouted, as loudly as she could. "'Here's Dorothy!' "'Dorothy who?' asked the scarecrow, tipping his head to look upward until he nearly lost his balance and tumbled over backward. "'Dorothy Gale, of course, your friend from Kansas,' she answered. "'Why, hello, Dorothy,' said the Scarecrow. "'What in the world are you doing up there?' "'Nothing,' she called down, "'because there's nothing to do. Save me, my friend, save me.' "'You seem to be quite safe now,' replied the Scarecrow. "'But I'm a prisoner. I'm locked in so that I can't get out,' she pleaded. "'That's all right,' said the Scarecrow. "'You might be worse off, little Dorothy. Just consider the matter. You can't get drowned or be run over by a wheeler or fall out of an apple tree. Some folks would think that they were lucky to be up there.' "'Well, I don't,' declared the girl. "'And I want to get down immediately and see you and the Tin Woodman and the Cowardly Lion.' "'Very well,' said the Scarecrow, nodding. It shall be just as you say, little friend. Who locked you up? The Princess Languideer, who is a horrid creature, she answered. At this, Ozma, who had been listening carefully to the conversation, called to Dorothy from her chariot, asking, Why did the Princess lock you up, my dear? Because, exclaimed Dorothy, I wouldn't let her have my head for her collection and take an old cast-off head in exchange for it. "'I do not blame you,' exclaimed Ozma promptly. "'I will see the princess at once and oblige her to liberate you.' "'Oh, thank you very, very much,' cried Dorothy, who, as soon as she heard the sweet voice of the girlish ruler of Oz, knew that she would soon learn to love her dearly. Ozma now drove her chariot around to the third door of the wing, upon which the tin woodman boldly proceeded to knock. As soon as the maid opened the door, Ozma, bearing in her hand her ivory wand, stepped into the hall and made her way at once to the drawing-room, followed by all her companions except the lion and the tiger. And the twenty-seven soldiers made such a noise and a clatter that the little maid Nanda ran away screaming to her mistress, whereupon the Princess Languideer, roused to great anger by this rude invasion of her palace, came running into the drawing-room without any assistance whatever. 
Then she stood before the slight and delicate form of the little girl from Oz, and cried out, How dare you enter my palace unbidden! Leave this room at once, or I will bind you and all your people in chains and throw you into my darkest dungeons. What a dangerous lady! murmured the scarecrow in a soft voice. She seems a little nervous, replied the tin woodman. But Ozma only smiled at the angry princess. Sit down, please, she said quietly. I have traveled a long way to see you, and you must listen to what I have to say. Must? screamed the princess, her black eyes flashing with fury, for she still wore her number seventeen head. Must? To me? To be sure, said Ozma. I am ruler of the land of Oz, and I am powerful enough to destroy all your kingdom, if I so wish. Yet I did not come here to do harm, but rather to free the royal family of Ev from the thrall of the Gnome King, the news having reached me that he is holding the queen and her children prisoners." Hearing these words, Languideer suddenly became quiet. I wish you could indeed free my aunt and her ten royal children," said she eagerly, for if they were restored to their proper forms and station, they could rule the kingdom of Ev themselves, and that would save me a lot of worry and trouble. At present there are at least ten minutes every day that I must devote to affairs of state, and I would like to be able to spend my whole time in admiring my beautiful heads. Then we will presently discuss this matter," said Ozma, and try to find a way to liberate your aunt and cousins. But first you must liberate another prisoner, the little girl you have locked up in your tower. Of course, said Languideer readily. I had forgotten all about her. That was yesterday, you know, and a princess cannot be expected to remember today what she did yesterday. Come with me, and I will release the prisoner at once. So Ozma followed her, and they passed up the stairs that led to the room in the tower. While they were gone, Ozma's followers remained in the drawing-room, and the scarecrow was leaning against a form that he had mistaken for a copper statue, when a harsh metallic voice said suddenly in his ear, "'Get off my foot, please. You are scratching my polish.' "'Oh, excuse me,' he replied, hastily drawing back. "'Are you alive?' No, said Tick-Tock. I am only a machine, but I can think and speak and act when I am properly wound up. Just now my action is run down, and Dorothy has the key to it. That's all right, replied the Scarecrow. Dorothy will soon be free, and then she'll attend to your works. But it must be a great misfortune not to be alive. I'm sorry for you. Why? asked Tick-Tock. Because you have no brains as I have, said the Scarecrow. Oh, yes, I have, returned Tick-Tock. I am fitted with Smith and Tinker's improved combination steel brains. They are what makes me think. What sort of brains are you fitted with? I don't know, admitted the Scarecrow. They were given to me by the great wizard of Oz, and I didn't get a chance to examine them before he put them in. But they work splendidly, and my conscience is very active. Have you a conscience? No, said Tick-Tock. And no heart, I suppose, 
added the tin woodman, who had been listening with interest to this conversation. No, said Tick-Tock. Then, continued the tin woodman, I regret to say that you are greatly inferior to my friend the Scarecrow, and to myself, for we are both alive, and he has brains which do not need to be wound up, while I have an excellent heart that is continually beating in my bosom. I congratulate you, replied Tick-Tock. I cannot help being your inferior, for I am a mere machine. When I am wound up, I do my duty by going just as my machinery is made to go. You have no idea how full of machinery I am. I can guess, said the Scarecrow, looking at the machine man curiously. Some day I'd like to take you apart and see just how you are made. Do not do that, I beg of you, said Tick-Tock for you could not put me together again, and my usefulness would be destroyed. Oh, are you useful? asked the Scarecrow, surprised. Very, said Tick-Tock. In that case, the Scarecrow kindly promised, I won't fool with your interior at all, for I am a poor mechanic and might mix you up. Thank you, said Tick-Tock. Just then, Ozma re-entered the room, leading Dorothy by the hand, and followed closely by the Princess Languideer. End of chapter 7 The Hungry Tiger The first thing Dorothy did was to rush into the embrace of the Scarecrow, whose painted face beamed with delight as he pressed her form to his straw-padded bosom. Then the tin woodman embraced her very gently, for he knew his tin arms might hurt her if he squeezed too roughly. These greetings having been exchanged, Dorothy took the key to Tick-Tock from her pocket and wound up the machine man's action, so that he could bow properly when introduced to the rest of the company. While doing this, she told them how useful Tick-Tock had been to her, and both the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman shook hands with the machine once more, and thanked him for protecting their friend. Then Dorothy asked, "'Where is Billina?' "'I don't know,' said the Scarecrow. "'Who is Billina?' "'She's a yellow hen who is another friend of mine,' answered the girl anxiously. "'I wonder what has become of her.' "'She is in the chicken-house in the backyard,' said the princess. My drawing-room is no place for hens." Without waiting to hear more, Dorothy ran to get Billina, and just outside the door she came upon the cowardly lion, still hitched to the chariot beside the great tiger. The cowardly lion had a big bow of blue ribbon fastened to the long hair between his ears, and the tiger wore a bow of red ribbon on his tail, just in front of the bushy end. In an instant Dorothy was hugging the huge lion joyfully. "'I'm so glad to see you again,' she cried. "'I'm also glad to see you, Dorothy,' said the lion. "'We've had some fine adventures together, haven't we?' "'Yes, indeed,' she replied. "'How are you?' "'As cowardly as ever,' the beast answered in a meek voice. "'Every little thing scares me and makes my heart beat fast.' But let me introduce to you a new friend of mine, the Hungry Tiger." "'Oh, 
Are you hungry? she asked, turning to the other beast, who was just then yawning so widely that he displayed two rows of terrible teeth and a mouth big enough to startle anyone. Dreadfully hungry, answered the tiger, snapping his jaws together with a fierce click. Then why don't you eat something? she asked. It's no use, said the tiger sadly. I've tried that, but I always get hungry again. Why, it is the same with me, said Dorothy. Yet I keep on eating. But you eat harmless things, so it doesn't matter, replied the tiger. For my part, I'm a savage beast, and have an appetite for all sorts of poor little living creatures, from a chipmunk to fat babies. How dreadful, said Dorothy. Isn't it, though, returned the hungry tiger, licking his lips with his long red tongue. Fat babies! Don't they sound delicious? But I've never eaten any, because my conscience tells me it is wrong. If I had no conscience, I would probably eat the babies and then get hungry again, which would mean that I had sacrificed the poor babies for nothing. No, hungry I was born, and hungry I shall die. But I'll not have any cruel deeds on my conscience to be sorry for. I think you are a very good tiger, said Dorothy, patting the huge head of the beast. In that you are mistaken, was the reply. I am a good beast, perhaps, but a disgracefully bad tiger, for it is the nature of tigers to be cruel and ferocious, and in refusing to eat harmless living creatures, I am acting as no good tiger has ever before acted. That is why I left the forest and joined my friend, the Cowardly Lion. But the Lion is not really cowardly, said Dorothy. I have seen him act as bravely as can be. All a mistake, my dear, protested the Lion gravely. To others I may have seemed brave at times, but I have never been in any danger that I was not afraid. Nor I, said Dorothy truthfully. But I must go and set free Bellina, and then I will see you again." She ran around to the backyard of the palace, and soon found the chicken-house, being guided to it by a loud cackling and crowing, and a distracting hubbub of sounds such as chickens make when they are excited. Something seemed to be wrong in the chicken-house, and when Dorothy looked through the slats in the door, she saw a group of hens and roosters huddled in one corner, and watching what appeared to be a whirling ball of feathers. It bounded here and there about the chicken-house, and at first Dorothy could not tell what it was, while the screeching of the chickens nearly deafened her. But suddenly the bunch of feathers stopped whirling, and then, to her amazement, the girl saw Bellina crouching upon the prostrate form of a speckled rooster. For an instant they both remained motionless, and then the yellow hen shook her wings to settle the feathers, and walked toward the door with a strut of proud defiance and a cluck of victory, while the speckled rooster limped away to the group of other chickens, trailing his crumpled plumage in the dust as he went. "'Why, Bellina!' cried Dorothy in a shocked voice. "'Have you been fighting?' "'I really think I have,' retorted Bellina. Do you think I'd let that speckled villain of a rooster lord it over me, and claim to run this chicken-house as long as I'm able to peck and scratch? And not if my name is Bill. 
It isn't Bill, it's Billina, and you're talking slang, which is very undignified, said Dorothy reprovingly. Come here, Billina, and I'll let you out, for Ozma of Oz is here and has set us free. So the yellow hen came to the door, which Dorothy unlatched for her to pass through, and the other chickens silently watched them from their corner without offering to approach nearer. The girl lifted her friend in her arms and exclaimed, Oh, Bellina, how dreadful you look! You've lost a lot of feathers, and one of your eyes is nearly pecked out, and your comb is bleeding. That's nothing, said Bellina. Just look at the speckled rooster. Didn't I do him up brown? Dorothy shook her head. I don't prove this at all, she said, carrying Bellina away toward the palace. It isn't a good thing for you to associate with those common chickens. They would soon spoil your good manners, and you wouldn't be respectable any more. I didn't ask to associate with them, replied Bellina. It is that cross old princess who is to blame. But I was raised in the United States, and I won't allow any one-horse chicken of the land of Ev to run over me and put on airs as long as I can lift a claw in self-defense. Very well, Belina, said Dorothy. We won't talk about it any more. Soon they came to the cowardly lion and the hungry tiger, to whom the girl introduced the yellow hen. Glad to meet any friend of Dorothy's, said the lion politely. To judge by your present appearance, you are not a coward as I am. Your present appearance makes my mouth water, said the tiger, looking at Bellina greedily. My, my, how good you would taste if I could only crunch you between my jaws. But don't worry, you would only appease my appetite for a moment, so it isn't worth while to eat you. Thank you said the hen, nestling closer in Dorothy's arms. Besides, it wouldn't be right, continued the tiger, looking steadily at Bellina and clicking his jaws together. Of course not, cried Dorothy hastily. Bellina is my friend, and you mustn't ever eat her under any circumstances. I'll try to remember that, said the tiger, but I'm a little absent-minded at times. Then Dorothy carried her pet into the drawing-room of the palace, where Tick-Tock, being invited to do so by Ozma, had seated himself between the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman. Opposite to them sat Ozma herself and the Princess Languideer, and beside them there was a vacant chair for Dorothy. Around this important group was ranged the army of Oz, and as Dorothy looked at the handsome uniforms of the Twenty-Seven, she said, why, they seem to be all officers. They are, all except one, answered the Tin Woodman. I have in my army eight generals, six colonels, seven majors, and five captains, besides one private for them to command. I'd like to promote the private, for I believe no private should ever be in public life. And I've also noticed that officers usually fight better and are more reliable than common soldiers. Besides, the officers are more important-looking, and lend dignity to our army." "'No doubt you are right,' said Dorothy, seating herself beside Ozma. "'And now,' announced the girlish ruler of Oz, "'we will hold a solemn conference to decide the best manner of liberating the royal family of this fair land of Ev from their long imprisonment.'" End of Chapter 8
Recording by Phil Schinever The Royal Family of Ev The Tin Woodman was the first to address the meeting. To begin with, said he, word came to our noble and illustrious ruler, Ozma of Oz, that the wife and ten children, five boys and five girls, of the former King of Ev, by name Evaldo, have been enslaved by the Gnome King, and are held prisoners in his underground palace. Also that there was no one in Ev powerful enough to release them. Naturally, our Ozma wished to undertake the adventure of liberating the poor prisoners, but for a long time she could find no way to cross the great desert between the two countries. Finally she went to a friendly sorceress of our land, named Glinda the Good, who heard the story and at once presented Ozma a magic carpet, which would continually unroll beneath our feet and so make a comfortable path for us to cross the desert. As soon as she had received the carpet, our gracious ruler ordered me to assemble our army, which I did. You behold in these bold warriors the pick of all the finest soldiers of Oz, and if we are obliged to fight the Gnome King, every officer as well as the private will battle fiercely unto death. Then Tik-Tok spoke. Why should you fight the Gnome King? he asked. He has done no wrong. No wrong, cried Dorothy. Isn't it wrong to imprison a queen mother and her ten children? They were sold to the Gnome King by King Evoldo, replied Tik-Tok. It was the King of Ev who did wrong, and when he realized what he had done, he jumped into the sea and drowned himself. This is news to me, said Ozma thoughtfully. I had supposed the Gnome King was all to blame in the matter, but in any case he must be made to liberate the prisoners. My uncle Evaldo was a very wicked man, declared the Princess Languideer. If he had drowned himself before he sold his family, no one would have cared. But he sold them to the powerful Gnome King in exchange for a long life, and afterward destroyed the life by jumping into the sea. Then, said Ozma, he did not get the long life, and the Gnome King must give up the prisoners. Where are they confined? No one knows exactly, replied the princess, for the king, whose name is Roquat of the Rocks, owns a splendid palace underneath the great mountain, which is at the north end of this kingdom, and he has transformed the queen and her children into ornaments and bric-a-brac with which to decorate his rooms. I'd like to know, said Dorothy, who this Gnome King is. I will tell you, replied Ozma. He is said to be the ruler of the underground world, and commands the rocks and all that the rocks contain. Under his rule are many thousands of the gnomes, who are queerly shaped but powerful sprites that labor at the furnaces and forges of their king, making gold and silver and other metals, which they conceal in the crevices of the rocks, so that those living upon the earth's surface can only find them with great difficulty. Also they make diamonds and rubies and emeralds, which they hide in the ground, so that the kingdom of the gnomes is wonderfully rich, and all we have of precious stones and silver and gold is what we take from the earth and rocks where the gnome king has hidden them. I understand, 
said Dorothy, nodding her little head wisely. For the reason that we often steal his treasures, continued Ozma, the ruler of the underground world is not fond of those who live upon the earth's surface, and never appears among us. If we wish to see King Roquat of the Rocks, we must visit his own country, where he is all-powerful, and therefore it will be a dangerous undertaking. But for the sake of the poor prisoners, said Dorothy, we ought to do it. We shall do it, replied the Scarecrow, although it requires a lot of courage for me to go near to the furnaces of the Nome King. For I am only stuffed with straw, and a single spark of fire might destroy me entirely. The furnaces may also melt my tin, said the tin woodman, but I am going. I can't bear heat, remarked the Princess Languideer, yawning lazily, so I shall stay at home. But I wish you may have success in your undertaking, for I am heartily tired of ruling this stupid kingdom, and I need more leisure in which to admire my beautiful heads. We do not need you, said Ozma. For if, with the aid of my brave followers, I cannot accomplish my purpose, then it would be useless for you to undertake the journey." "'Quite true,' sighed the princess. "'So, if you'll excuse me, I will now retire to my cabinet. I've worn this head quite a while, and I want to change it for another.' When she had left, and you may be sure no one was sorry to see her go, Ozma said to Tik-Tok, "'Will you join our party?' I am the slave of the girl Dorothy, who rescued me from prison," replied the machine. Where she goes, I will go. Oh, I am going with my friends, of course, said Dorothy quickly. I wouldn't miss the fun for anything. Will you go too, Bellina? To be sure, said Bellina in a careless tone. She was smoothing down the feathers of her back and not paying much attention. Heat is just in her line, remarked the Scarecrow. If she is nicely roasted, she will be better than ever. Then, said Ozma, we will arrange to start for the kingdom of the gnomes at daybreak tomorrow, and in the meantime we will rest and prepare ourselves for the journey. Although Princess Languideer did not again appear to her guests, the palace servants waited upon the strangers from Oz, and did everything in their power to make the party comfortable. There were many vacant rooms at their disposal, and the brave army of twenty-seven was easily provided for and liberally feasted. The cowardly lion and the hungry tiger were unharnessed from the chariot, and allowed to roam at will throughout the palace, where they nearly frightened the servants into fits, although they did no harm at all. At one time Dorothy found the little maid Nanda crouching in terror in a corner, with the hungry tiger standing before her. "'You certainly look delicious,' the beast was saying. "'Will you kindly give me permission to eat you?' "'No, no, no!' cried the maid in reply. "'Then,' said the tiger, yawning frightfully, "'please to get me about thirty pounds of tenderloin steak cooked rare with a peck of boiled potatoes on the side and five gallons of ice cream for dessert. I, I, I'll do the best I can, said Nanda, and she ran away as fast as she could go. Are you so very hungry? asked Dorothy in wonder. You can hardly imagine the size of my appetite, replied the tiger sadly. 
It seems to fill my whole body, from the end of my throat to the tip of my tail. I am very sure the appetite doesn't fit me, and is too large for the size of my body. Some day, when I meet a dentist with a pair of forceps, I'm going to have it pulled." "'What, your tooth?' asked Dorothy. "'No, my appetite,' said the hungry tiger. The little girl spent most of the afternoon talking with the scarecrow and the tin woodman, who related to her all that had taken place in the land of Oz since Dorothy had left it. She was much interested in the story of Ozma, who had been, when a baby, stolen by a wicked old witch and transformed into a boy. She did not know that she had ever been a girl until she was restored to her natural form by a kind sorceress. Then it was found that she was the only child of the former ruler of Oz, and was entitled to rule in his place. Ozma had many adventures, however, before she regained her father's throne, and in these she was accompanied by a pumpkin-headed man, a highly magnified and thoroughly educated Wogglebug, and a wonderful sawhorse that had been brought to life by means of a magic powder. The Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman had also assisted her, but the cowardly lion who ruled the great forest as the King of Beasts knew nothing of Ozma until after she became the reigning Princess of Oz. Then he journeyed to the Emerald City to see her, and on hearing she was about to visit the land of Ev to set free the royal family of that country, the cowardly lion begged to go with her, and brought along his friend the hungry tiger as well. Having heard this story, Dorothy related to them her own adventures, and then went out with her friends to find the sawhorse, which Ozma had caused to be shod with plates of gold, so that its legs would not wear out. They came upon the sawhorse, standing motionless beside the garden gate, but when Dorothy was introduced to him, he bowed politely and blinked his eyes, which were knots of wood, and wagged his tail, which was only the branch of a tree. "'What a remarkable thing to be alive!' exclaimed Dorothy. "'I quite agree with you,' replied the sawhorse in a rough but not unpleasant voice. "'A creature like me has no business to live, as we all know. But it was the magic powder that did it, so I cannot justly be blamed.' "'Of course not,' said Dorothy. "'And you seem to be of some use, cause I noticed the scarecrow riding upon your back.' "'Oh, yes, I'm of some use,' returned the sawhorse. "'And I never tire, never have to be fed or cared for in any way.' "'Are you intelligent?' asked the girl. "'Not very,' said the creature. "'It would be foolish to waste intelligence on a common sawhorse when so many professors need it. But I know enough to obey my masters, and to giddy-up or woe when I'm told to, so I'm pretty well satisfied.' That night Dorothy slept in a pleasant little bedchamber next to that occupied by Ozma of Oz, and Bellina perched upon the foot of the bed and tucked her head under her wing, and slept as soundly in that position as did Dorothy upon her soft cushions. But before daybreak everyone was awake and stirring, and soon the adventurers were eating a hearty breakfast in the great dining-room of the palace. Ozma sat at the head of a long table on a raised platform, with Dorothy on her right hand and the Scarecrow on her left. The Scarecrow did not eat, of course, but Ozma placed him near her so that she might ask his advice about the journey while she ate. 
Lower down the table were the twenty-seven warriors of Oz, and at the end of the room the lion and the tiger were eating out of a kettle that had been placed upon the floor, while Billina fluttered around to pick up any scraps that might be scattered. It did not take long to finish the meal, and then the lion and the tiger were harnessed to the chariot and the party was ready to start for the Gnome King's palace. First rode Ozma, with Dorothy beside her in the golden chariot and holding Bellina fast in her arms. Then came the scarecrow on the sawhorse, with the tin woodman and Tick-Tock marching side by side just behind him. After these tramped the army, looking brave and handsome in their splendid uniforms. The generals commanded the colonels, and the colonels commanded the majors, and the majors commanded the captains, and the captains commanded the private, who marched with an air of proud importance because it required so many officers to give him his orders. And so the magnificent procession left the palace and started along the road just as day was breaking, and by the time the sun came out they had made good progress toward the valley that led to the Gnome King's domain. End of chapter 9